0: couple jokes from Stephen Wright he says my grandpa was in one of the first submarines and instead of a periscope they had a kaleidoscope (laughs) oh no we're surrounded (laughs) (laughs) when I turned two I got really anxious because I realized that only in one year I had doubled my age and I thought if this keeps up by the time I'm six I'll be 90 (laughs) last one I name my dog stay just to mess with him Come here, stay. Come here, stay. At, at first it was fun, but now he just ignores me and keeps right on typing. <laughs> See, that was a twist. That was a twist ending. All right, here's your, here's your sermon. A few years ago, a friend of mine who I deeply love and have been praying for to know Jesus for many years uh, was online and having a conversation about some moral issues. And some Christians were interacting with this friend of mine. And my friend bested them with their own Bible. He made them feel foolish. He said, if you guys think that we need to treat these people this way based on this Old Testament verse, how about you apply it consistently? And he quoted a couple other Old Testament verses that they probably didn't know as well as he did, even though he was not a believer. And said, this is why you guys are full of crap. You're hypocrites. And instead of saying something kind, this Christian person said, well, I hope you enjoy burning in hell. You Satan-worshiping pig or whatever she said. And that was one of those days where I had a problem with my anger at the church. Because it seemed like somehow in the argument she had forgotten that there's a soul at stake. That as she was so ticked off and sucked into what her opinion was, that she lost sight of the value of the person she was talking to. Sometimes we forget that we are not citizens of our home country. But we are foreigners in a foreign land. That we are missionaries here. And that everything we do reflects on Jesus. We'll either make him attractive to the watching world or ugly and repugnant to the watching world. Colossians 4. And pray for us, Paul says, that God may open a door for our message that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I'm in chains. Pray that I might proclaim it clearly as I should. And be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity and let your conversations always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. This is the word of the Lord. So he really has two, two messages. He says, remember the mystery and remember the mission. There's a mystery, isn't it, for how people come to faith in Jesus? No one will ever want God if God does not draw us because our hearts are too sinful, too selfish, too proud, too independent, too stubborn to even see that we have need of him. No one will come to faith, Jesus said, unless the Father who sent Jesus draws them. It's impossible because faith is a miracle. Faith is not the Elks Lodge. Faith is not a community that that is possible by human effort and energy. You know, all of our diligence and all of our doctrine does not make a church. It just makes a club. It takes miracles of transformation, the miracle of having the old heart removed and a new nature, the nature of Jesus implanted by the power of the Spirit. We can't do that, I can't do that, you can't do that. It's a miracle, it's impossible. So Paul says, pray for me. Remember the mystery. Faith is a mystery, the gospel's a mystery and it doesn't happen by human effort. so I need you to pray for me. Pray two things, one, that God will open a door. What does that mean? The door of people's hearts. There's a mystery of God drawing people so that their hearts soften. It's, it, it is a mystery. How does it work? I don't know because God won't control anyone. He has no desire to control anyone. And the goal of the Christian life is not to be controlled by the Spirit either. It's to be led by the Spirit. It's a very different thing. He's the least controlling person I've ever met in my life. And he doesn't want to use you either because you're not a prostitute. Stop saying that. Stop praying that. God, use me. No, stop that. Don't talk like that. Did I just cross a line? Probably. I feel comfortable with it. So remember the mystery. Pray. Pray that God opens a door on their end and pray for us that we would be given words. I need Jesus. You need Jesus. Paul's living as a missionary. He's in jail for being a missionary and instead of stopping, he's praying that that they would pray and that God would open doors in prison and that's what happened. We know it from the other letters, Oh, Everyone here knows about Jesus now. The poor, the poor soldiers that were like chained to Paul. You on duty today? Yeah. Good luck. What do you mean? Ah, oh, this guy. This guy. You know? So remember the mystery and therefore pray. You need words. And, it, and the words don't even... You can have perfect words like Jesus did, but if, if like we talked about last week, if hearts aren't open... All the anointing in the world won't do nothing. That's right. Amen. We need open doors and we need words. We need the, the spirit working on their end and we need the spirit working on our end. Which means we can't do it, which means, oh, God, we, we need you, God. We got to pray. Remember the mystery, therefore pray. And the second thing, remember the mission. He thinks He's going, you guys think I'm the front lines and you guys are just support staff? You know how I, we grew up, I grew up thinking this way. I grew up th- seeing this mindset. We send money to send missionaries somewhere else and then they're missionaries and the rest of us are just Christians. Guys, it's deception. You're the missionaries. In this country, y'all are the missionaries. The preachers are not the front lines, guys. Y'all are the front lines. The preachers are just staff. We're just coaching staff. We're not on the field. Y'all are on the field. Sunday morning's not the big game. The big game is Monday through Saturday. This is a halftime locker room pep talk. The big action is not you inviting someone to come here for me to do the real work. The big action is you on your face every morning getting filled up with the spirit and the truth because you are going into the mission field as the missionaries. And Paul says, hey, we have a mission. I'm here in prison, pray for me. But listen, make the most of your time. You are the missionaries where you are. Remember the mystery and pray. Remember the mission and get on with it. Don't get, don't get deceived into thinking you're citizens in your homeland. Stay awake to the fact that everything you do every day re- reflects on Jesus and has eternal consequences. So he says, make the most of each of, of every interaction with eternity in view. And then it's interesting to me; he focuses on speech as a primary focus. Speech. Sometimes we go, yeah, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Use words if necessary. And I go, oh, it's necessary. It's necessary. We want to live in such a way that people go, why do you have so much hope? But when you do good in the world, if you don't explain it, they'll simply conclude you're a good person. And that is not any help to anyone. Plus, hopefully you know this, you're not a good person. At best, you can become a person who has been redeemed by love, so you are becoming love, but you aren't taking the credit. If you're a real Christian, you never take the credit. You throw your crowns at Jesus' feet. And in the, the reason words are necessary is because the one who saves you is the one who wants to save them, wants to love them, wants to welcome them home as, as lost sons and daughters who are worth the blood of Jesus. So sometimes we get, we get forgetful, don't we? We forget. We're in a mission. We forget. We're the front lines. We start to live like this is our home. And what do we want to do today? What do we want to eat today? Where do we want to go? What do we want to wear? What are we doing for vacation? We walk right past people. Or worse, we treat them badly. C.S. Lewis says that some conversations belong in the house. He said it's not appropriate for Christians to debate doctrine in public in front of non Christians. It's totally inappropriate. We take down our leaders in public, online, in front of the watching world. We take on each other. We criticize other believers over points of differences of opinion differences of biblical interpretation it's crazy it'd be like if the army and the navy and the marines were fighting while the country's under attack it's just like that it's craziness i heard a catholic priest raniero canta say guys we got to stop that because when the fighting is around the king you need the army and the navy to, to, to form a tight circle around the king and fight and he said guys let me tell you what time it is in culture the fighting is around the king it's time to close ranks. It's time to partner with some people that in previous generations, we spent all our time saying, they're the devil. And they're not the devil. They're actually our family. We just disagree. So you don't, you know, it'd be like going out and yelling at your wife in front of the house. And you might, it'd be like my wife and I having arguments out in front of the house, in front of the watching world, instead of having a smart argument in the house, figuring out our stuff, and then presenting a united front, you know? No? You ever seen that? We've seen it. It's, it's not fun. So being wise toward outsiders is a little more complicated in the modern world because of this little, this little invention that has occurred during my lifetime called the Internet. Because being a missionary used to mean that you would go to this specific people and you would adapt yourself to their culture. You would dress like them, look like them, eat like them, act like them, talk like them, think like them, find connection points, bridges, to make Jesus understandable to their culture. So you would live and act and speak differently depending on who you were with. And some people go, oh, that's being phony. No, that's being a good missionary. You're not not changing the essential doctrines when you do that. You're being faithful to the unchanging message by changing your methods to match the situation at hand. But now, if I talk to seven Christians on a Wednesday night inside this place and then I record that and I post that out in public for everyone everywhere always to see it because the whole internet is instant, constant, global, and permanent. I feel like I'm talking fast and I don't care. Speed your brains up. Just, I'm going to talk fast. Can you see how that's a challenge? Now, it used to be that if you go to the Jews, you'd speak one way, you'd focus on one thing. But if you go to the Gentiles, you'd focus on different things because Jews and Gentiles don't value the same things. But now everything's online. It's all instant, constant, global, and permanent. Who are you even talking to? It makes it really difficult to be missionaries. So maybe we shouldn't post everything online all the time. Just a question. Is it really necessary for everyone everywhere to react to everything happening all the time? The the big business called social media has an algorithm that's designed to jack our brains up on all sorts of chemicals that work our emotions to get us to spend as much time as possible online. And the way that they get us to spend as much time as possible online is by giving us these little hits of dopamine because we have this thing called ego and insecurity and we need love and we don't know who we are until somebody likes my picture. And likes my post and likes what I made. And it's addictive. It's super addictive. addictive. It's fun when I find young people that are like, yeah, I don't even have social media. And I'm like, wow. Do you own a typewriter too? Yep. Do you listen to phonograph records? Yes, I do. Who are you people? I want to learn your ways. What happens is sometimes people think that we're boldly, when we're like stirred up, I mean, when we're like stirred up with our feelings and our thinkings and our opinions. And by the way, like now every single one of us owns our own media company. We have our own real, like live action, like reality TV show called Me. Yeah. It's not helpful. Like our great, great grandkids are going to be like, you let everyone have the internet all the time. You might as well have just handed everyone a gun and a whole thing of heroin as a five-year-old. What are you doing? And then we go, well, we didn't know. We didn't know. And so it's so easy to think that we're boldly standing up for the truth when we're making Jesus ugly and making a fool of ourselves, Stating our opinion on something that's really not that important because we forgot we're missionaries. We're putting stumbling blocks is what Jesus calls and what Paul calls them in people's path. Here's what I believe the real problem underneath all the problems of society. Like, there's lots of problems in society. I don't need to say, can I get an amen? We all know this. You wanted to give an amen anyway. There's problems in society. Yeah, well. <laughs> but there's a, there's a deeper problem underneath all the other problems. It's called sin and death. Sin and... You might have noticed this little thing where everyone's deeply in sin and everyone's dying. It's kind of a big deal, and I think maybe we should focus on that problem. Instead it's like, whose leader will get us to a slightly better place? Well, how much better? Well, we don't really know. Well, look at the past. Did it get a whole lot better when our team won the election? Yeah. Not, not a ton, a little, <laughs> not, not much. Meet the new boss, same as the old boss. Y'all, I've just completely given up on this American deception. And I put all my chips in the Jesus thing. Amen, amen. There's concentric circles in our lives. Like the Holy of Holies, the deepest center of your life belongs only to God and God alone. And when you're finding truth, it's 100% truth and 100% you submitting to that truth. But then there's an outer courts where you deal with the church, the other people around you. And it's a different set of responsibilities. They might not be ready for the truth you're ready for yet. So even though you don't ever water down the truth as you walk in it and believe it, when you apply it with other believers, you have to have pastoral wisdom. Are you with me? Have I lost you? So for example, they might not be ready for calculus yet. Calculus is for 12th graders. They might be ready for third grade issues, multiplication, division, and fractions. By the way, I never made it to calculus. I never intend to. Someone else will. I'm not building bridges. I'm preparing people for eternity. So there's the moral question. That's the inner inner holy of holies. Then there's the pastoral question, which is more like the outer courts. It's among Christians. There's a different layer of responsibility. So... With you, holy of holies, 100% truth, full Christian answer, full submission to the whole truth. All the time. You live your faith, you live your conscience, you submit to whatever you are convinced is true, not what you wish were true, what you're convinced is true. You're not trying to find a way to get what you want to be true to be true. You're submitting to what you are convinced is true. Holy of holies, God is God in your heart. Then there's the outer circle, the church issue. You give people the amount of truth they're ready for on the next step of their journey. You don't give them the whole package that they're not ready for to overwhelm and confuse them. You give them the next step. And then there's the third layer, and I would call it the political question. It's those outside the temple. And the third layer of our broader relationship to the outside world is extremely important to Jesus. We Christians hate to be controlled by others. Most Christians that I know are pretty dang rebellious and they won't tolerate it. So why would we try to control those who don't even share a faith in Jesus in the way that we engage non-Christians? It's insanity. That would be like dead religious manipulation, which I hope you're sick of yourself. Aren't you sick of dead, empty religion? Then, why? then we have to make sure that our interaction with non-Christians is not that. Hopefully, as we engage those on that outer layer of the three layers, we're doing everything we can to make the faith understandable, and attractive. That's right. My vocation is not politics. Just to be clear, some of yours might be. There's people called to be lawyers, godly ones. There's people called to be bankers, godly ones. There's people called to be politicians, godly ones. Am I right? Doesn't the Bible say that our that our actual politi- the political rulers serve a divine function? You can't delete those portions just because you're cynical like I am. Somebody's called to it, friends, and I'm not one of them. I'm not called to it. I'm called to do what I'm called to do. But if you are called into that sphere, then this will be your task to honor non-Christians, to honor them, to work with non-Christians to partner with non-Christians and honor them and find common moral axioms that you hold in common with them that, that when applied will serve the greater good. Right. I'm not called into that world. That, to me, is too much compromise, too much confusion. To me, mixing faith and politics is like po- mixing poop and ice cream. You know, the ice cream is just not the same afterward. The poop's fine. Trust me, it's fine. But the ice cream's just not the same. I can't, handle, I can't handle politics. I can't handle alcohol, so I don't touch either. Some of you can't handle it either, but you think you can. If you had a topic where if you, if you speak about it, you know you're going to turn 50% of the population away from Jesus, would you go ahead and do it anyway? Well, then don't do it online, friends. Vote your conscience, pray your conscience, believe your conscience, and be a missionary. Keep your perspective. The na- a nation is a temporary drop in the bucket. It has a life cycle of four or five hundred years. A soul is eternal. Don't lose souls for the sake of some, how we can temporarily arrange a little bit of a community. Yeah, I said that. A nation has a life cycle of maybe four or five hundred years. A person is forever. Don't lose perspective. Greg Boyd is, uh, I just love this guy. Paul says, grace seasoned with salt so that you might know how to answer everyone. Greg was in a debate with an atheist. He was taking the God is real, God is good, faith is worth having perspective. The atheist was taking the God isn't real, science is true. By the way, those, that's a false dichotomy. I believe in God and I love science. Those are not against each other. But a lot of people, especially atheists, atheists, seem to think that those are mutually exclusive. So Greg said, that guy mopped the floor with me in that debate. That atheist made me look stupid. He destroyed me. And I sat there at the end feeling like a total failure. And then my debate partner came over, my atheist friend now, came over and said, that was really intriguing. And Greg says, oh, really? You decimated me. I feel like a fool. I feel like I failed Jesus. And and the atheist guy says, "Um, I would like to meet with you to discuss this further. I've never been treated this friendly before. And you said some really interesting things that make me think. He lost the debate and he won a friend. Amen. He, he, he knocked that one out of the park, but he felt like an absolute failure because he lost the debate. But here's the thing, guys. Jesus hasn't called us to be lawyers. You will be my witnesses. Amen. A lawyer serves a very different purpose in a court of law than a witness, doesn't it? What is the witness called on to do, guys? Yes, testify. testify to what? What you have seen and heard. What is a lawyer called to do? Win arguments. Jesus hasn't called you to be a lawyer. He's called you to be his witness. Here's what I know. The Holy Spirit moves in authority when you speak about what you have seen and heard. The things you actually know, you have authority to declare. The things you've walked in, the things you've learned, the things you've experienced, the things you've seen breakthrough in, you have authority to share your story. And when you do, God puts power on it. I feel like that's about enough. We're having a friend of mine come to help us replant Gateway at the beginning of 2022. Part of the reason is 80% of, con- of church growth that happens by conversion happens in the first five years of a church's existence. After that, it starts to degenerate into us taking care of believers. But something about the first five years of a church's existence, the mindset of the average member is focused on outreach, living as a missionary. But after we're established and we finally have enough people in here to pay the bills, then we chill and we relax and we make it about us being a happy little family. And by the way, I love us. I love us. We are a happy little family and I love us. But I don't want us to lose the missionary zeal. I don't want us to lose the missionary focus. So we're going to bring Adam, and he's going to probably spank me. And it's going to be okay. Just a few quick things about restaurants and Chris Valen, and then I'm done. If you go to a restaurant, please don't forget that your server matters more than your experience of the meal. At least tip five bucks per person if all you got was coffee, or 20% of the total, whichever one of those amounts is higher. And Be nice. Chris Vollen, when we were out there, Stan will remember this, when we were out there at a prophetic conference, everything was on fire. I got out of my little rental car and I looked up at the sky and it was orange. And my lungs started to burn because the, everything was on fire. The mountains were burning. Everything was burning. And, so, and, and I was like, are they going to have a conference at all? You know? And they told us, don't you dare pray for the fire of God. You pray for the, for the rain of God. We, are, we don't want any mixed messages going up to heaven. They're like, fire, fall, no, shut, no, Lord, we cancel this assignment in Jesus' name. and We asked for the reins of the Spirit. And I was like, oh, this is great. Chris told us this. He said, um, we know you're all excited to be here at this prophetic conference, but, but I'm begging you not to try to prophesy out in public this week. I'm begging you. He said, our city's overfished. We used to think that we were doing God's will. We used to stand up on on tables in public and preach. We used to grab the loudspeaker thing while we were at Walmart and preach Jesus. And we thought we were being persecuted when they'd kick us out. We were being jerks. We had zeal without maturity. We prayed over everyone who has a crutch, anyone who has a cast. We thought we were doing it. We We thought we were killing it. Guys, we've turned so many people off to Jesus because we've been so just insensitive and pushy and rude and presumptuous. Our city's on fire. Here's what I'm asking you, please don't, just please, please don't, can you not? Can you not exercise your spiritual gifts out in public this week? Can you do this instead? Can you treat your server like a person? Can you ask them how they're doing and look in their eyes and care? Can you tip huge? Can you be extremely patient because they're understaffed because people have lost their houses to the fire? Can you honor this city? Can you recognize this city is in pain because they're all going through big stuff? Guys, we're not saying that if you absolutely have to and the Holy Spirit won't let you go, that you can't, but I'm just begging you, please, please, we've done enough damage in our zeal over the years. Our city's overfished. Could you just honor them and take good care of their hearts for a change? Isn't that amazing? I love that. I love that. I said I was done, so I'm done. Remember the mission and remember the mystery.